0: Good morning Church! Sean Boss here, and as always, it's a blessing to be able to bring God's Word. But as you can tell, today's setting is is certainly different. It's as surprising to me as it may be to you, but the reality is, is COVID has hit our home and our son has come down with the illness. It's resulted in us happening to be on what my wife calls the isolation train, but it really has me wanting to run around yelling, unclean, 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 The way they used to do in Old Testament days and in the early church but that is our reality uh, and we are praying that the illness will not progress any further with our son he is doing better he's on the road to recovery and we're also praying that the illness doesn't go any further in our home we're asking that you would uh, partner with us in prayer in that regard and know that we will certainly be praying for you guys as as much as we miss you so with that said we're continuing in our series and I'm wondering how many know what book we're in. <laughs> That's right, I can hear you say it from my house. We're in the book of John, and we're taking an expository look at all the scriptures in that book. Now, if you're new, or maybe this is your first time with our fellowship, or maybe you're hearing online, and the word expository is is unfamiliar with to you, you're not sure what this word means and, and why we're applying it to scripture. But as Braden indicated, Pastor Braden, in the beginning of our series, exposition takes a deep dive look at everything the scripture has to say so that we fully understand it and so that we can fully apply it to our lives so continuing in our series in the book of John today we now find ourselves in chapter 3 and specifically we're looking at the verses 1 through 21 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 21, and contained in that section of Scripture is probably one of the most oft-quoted and famous verses in all of the Bible, and for good reason. When we hear this verse, it gives us hope, it fills us with hope, it dispels fear, it gives us assurance, and as I've indicated, this is, this is probably one of the most cherry-picked verses of all Scripture, and it's for good reason. I say this as the verse, when it's put in context of the section of scripture that it's taken from, it has a broader meaning. It has a more full, complete message. And to to address the elephant in the room, the the verse I'm referring to is John chapter 3, verse 16. In understanding that verse, we need to understand the verses before it and after it, so that we get the full picture, so that we get the full context. This is what we're gonna remedy today in our message. So with that, I'll have you open your Bibles and turn to John chapter three, and we're gonna read through verses one through 21 together. So, it says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus at night, and said to him, "'Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these, th- these signs that you do unless God is with them.' Jesus responded and said to him, "'Truly, truly, I say to you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God.' Nicodemus said to him, "'How can a person be born again, or how can a person be born when he is old?' He cannot enter his mother's womb a second time and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which has been born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it is coming from. And where it is going, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus responded and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, You are the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and we testify of what we have seen, and you people do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one is ascended into heaven except he who, asc- who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man be lifted up, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that everyone who believes will have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes, or so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through Him. The one who believes in Him is not judged. The one who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. This is the verdict. This is the verdict. That the light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come does not come to the light, so that his deeds will not be exposed. But the one who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds will be revealed as having been performed in God. Church, we have a long section of scripture today, and for us, it has eternal consequences in our reviewing of it, and I have to wonder, how many of you, in going through all this scripture, were drawn to that one verse in particular, The the, the verse I referred to? I have to be honest, when I go through this section of scripture, I'm instinctually aware of the verse that it contains in John 3.16, because I have that verse held in my heart. It's a verse of hope that I keep in my heart, but as I've said before, it's vital for us that we understand the, all the verses contained in that section, so that we have the full context of its meaning, so that we can fully apply it to our lives. I'm going to put the cart before the horse here, church. I'm going to give you the ending of our message or the big picture or big idea of our message right now rather than wait till the end to try and give you the idea or have you guess what it is that all this message is about. The reality for us is the the big picture of today's message is the gospel. It's the, the message found in our context verses today is a gospel message, and it's the, a gospel message that came from Jesus Christ that is revealed in a conversation that he has, and this conversation has eternal consequences for us who hear it. So starting with verse 1, we're introduced to a religious leader named Nicodemus and the intimate conversation that he has with Jesus. Jesus. As the first verse indicates, Nicodemus is a Pharisee, but he's also a member of the Sanhedrin. And these two points are important points of note for us. As a Pharisee, we know that he believes in the supernatural. Nicodemus would believe, as a Pharisee, in the resurrection. He would believe in angels and demons, heaven and hell, whereas the other religious group of the day, called the Sadducees, they didn't believe in any of that. And I would refer you to Acts chapter 23 for reference on that truth. As a member of the Sanhedrin, he would be um, a member of the Jewish ruling ruling counselor. So this would mean that Nicodemus was a member of either a 23-person group or a 71-person group that were known as rabbis. And as rabbis, they they were appointed to sit as a tribunal group in every city in the land of Israel. He was one of the many people ruling and judging over God's people, Israel, the Jewish people. Nicodemus is mentioned three times in Scripture. The first time he's mentioned is in John chapter 3 where we are, but the second time he's mentioned is in John chapter 7, and the last time he's mentioned is in John chapter 19. And when we read all those contexts, and they will all be covered in our series, we come to the realization that Nicodemus was a person who was at least sympathetic to the gospel cause, or at most, he was a Jesus follower himself. Now, historically, we don't know for certain if Nicodemus was a Christian, but either East, the Eastern Orthodox and Catholic churches, they recognized Nicodemus as a saint. In my study, looking at commentary found on Christianity.com, it suggests that based on Nicodemus' defense of Jesus in the Sanhedrin in John chapter 7, where he reminds the Sanhedrin that we don't judge a person before we hear them, and also Jesus assisting with Joseph of Arimathea in John chapter 19 in Jesus' burial, one comes to... A belief that Nicodemus may very well have been a believer, because in seven John seven and nineteen, his support of Jesus is public. But back to our introduction of Nicodemus in John chapter three, he's setting up a meeting with Jesus, and it's a secret meeting. He's setting up a meeting with Jesus in the secrecy of the night because he's trying to come to grips with who Jesus is and everything that he's done. The fact that Nicodemus meets with Jesus in the secrecy of the night reveals to me two things that he may have been struggling with. The first may have been his his fear in that the right way to, to hear Jesus speak would be before the Sanhedrin and then to have him judged, but Nicodemus believes Jesus is more than that, and this is where he may be struggling with a faith issue. His second issue may have been one of faith, because as a Pharisee, he would be holding fast to Old Testament Scripture. He would know Old Testament Scripture, and he would be anticipating the prophesied Messiah. And here he is with Jesus, and we can believe that he may very well have been seeking God. He's struggling with both of these things when he plans to meet with Jesus alone, and he does it in the cover of darkness. When they meet in verse 2, Nicodemus addresses Jesus as rabbi. And this means that he's teacher, and he concedes that Jesus must be from God. He must be the man of God, because only the man of God could do the things that Jesus is doing. And Jesus uses Nicodemus' own words and his own profession to teach him. To summarize all that Jesus says in verses 3 through 21, Simply put, all those words can be summed up in one word, gospel. It's the gospel message presented by Jesus to an old man who, like us, needs to hear it, and we need to receive it. We need to make a decision with it. And this is what we need to understand when we hear Jesus speak in these verses. Getting into verse 3, a supernatural birth of God takes place. This is what Jesus tells Nicodemus. And for anyone to even see or enter the kingdom of God, he has to go through a rebirth. He has to be born again. In being born again, this life transcends the physical because it's not about the physical. It has nothing to do with the physical. It's spiritual. It's a spiritual rebirth, and it provides us as believers relationship. It provides fellowship. It provides communication and a way for us to worship our Father God who's in heaven. And why do we know this to be true? Why can we be assured of this? Because as John says in John chapter 4, verse 24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The old physical goes away in this water and spirit baptism. In this water and spirit birth, I mean. The new spiritual is ushered in, and in laying hold of the spiritual, the believer is born again, and Nicodemus struggles with this. He concedes that Jesus is from God, but he's struggling with this idea of being born again. He says in verses 4 through 9, he tries to rationalize an adult going into the womb again to be born. And he can't imagine it. And I can't either. <laughs> in verses 4 through 9, when I read that, I can't, I can't rationalize and I don't want to even try to, to Im- imagine what that would be like. As adults, we know that um, our memory really only goes back to about the ages of three and four. And I can say I'm very thankful for that. Because I don't want my memory to go back to the days when when I was born physically into this world. I don't want those memories in my mind, and I would never want to experience that again. But Nicodemus is struggling with this. And he even laments in verse 9 when he says, How can this be? And Jesus' response to him is, is, is one of surprise, but not the kind of surprise that you have when you, you learn or hear something for the first time. That's not why Jesus is, is surprised. He's respi- surprised because, as we already know, Nicodemus is a rabbi. He's a teacher. In being one, he would know the scriptures. He would know the Old Testament scriptures, and he would know that this would be the reason that Jesus, or the man of God, the Son of Man, would come, come into this world, so this rebirth shouldn't be foreign to him, this idea of being born again into the faith that is brought forward by our Messiah. In Christ, what is taking place is actually the fulfillment of prophesied scripture from the Old Testament. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 says, "...I will give you a new heart, and put, in you, put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone, and give you a heart of flesh." This is the prophesied rebirth for every believer, and we are dependent on God for this. We are as dependent on God for this spiritual birth that ushers us into the, into the kingdom of God, provides entrance to it for us, as we are ought to be dependent on God for our physical birth here in this world. I don't believe Jesus is hiding his irritation with Nicodemus when we read in verses 10 through 15, when he calls Nicodemus Israel's teacher. He's not able to interpret what it means for Jesus to be doing all that he's doing and all that he's saying. And he's struggling to accept the truth that his actions reveal. The truth of prophesied scripture fulfilled. And without this foundation of truth, Nicodemus won't be able to understand heavenly things If we can't have this foundation of truth and this spiritual rebirth in our lives, we won't be able to understand heavenly things either. The reality is is that Jesus came to save. Jesus came to save. And he prefaces this this message with... um, He prefaces the last of our verses in our section of Scripture today... In verses 14 and 15, when he says, when he when he when he reminds Nicodemus of Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness, and that being a reminder to God's people that, Jesus, that God and Jesus was using Moses to redeem and to save, and to save his people. A people who deserved judgment, who deserved condemnation for their sin. God is using Moses to let these people know that he is redeeming them, and his desire is to save them. And similar with Jesus being raised up on the cross, he's reminding us as believers that we are being saved, that he wants us to be redeemed in Christ. In Acts chapter 10, verse 43, the Apostle Peter proclaims the following regarding Jesus. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. All the prophecy, all the prophets of the Old Testament prophesied of this Messiah and what he would do and Jesus fulfilling it. And why am I referring to something Peter says in the book of Acts which is later on, it's after John. John. The reality is when the religious leaders were arresting and persecuting the early church, when they brought the apostles before the Sanhedrin, they recognized them in what they were saying as uneducated people. These were people who were not intelligent, yet they were coming across as very intelligent and very wise and reasonable. But they were rejecting these people. It was the uneducated the illiterate people that were recognizing Jesus for who he was, and it was the educated, the religious people who should have known that were turning away from him. They weren't going near him. They were blind-hearted. And they had the sin issue, the serious sin issue of pride. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 27 says, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Church, I want you to hear me when I say this. Being shamed by God is not a bad thing. It is a good thing. Because godly shame brings about two things. The first thing it brings about is redemption. It brings about repentance. and In this repentance, it secures our salvation. That's what godly shame accomplishes. That's what it does. It brings about repentance that leads to salvation. And sometimes people will hear me speak, church, and they'll want to ascribe to me some level of intelligence or, 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 or want to lift me up as, as, as somebody who may be a, a, a little more intent, intelligent than someone else. But the reality is, is that's not the case. You ask my wife and children and they'll tell you how smart I am. The reality is, is this gospel message that I'm bringing you today is a gospel message that was given to me. I'm no smarter or better than anyone else. Anyone who is blessed to be able to minister this gospel from a pulpit or anywhere else, they're in the same boat. We are just as dependent on Jesus in this saving gospel as anyone else is. I'm no better. I'm just thankful for the gospel of Jesus Christ and that it saved me. And now we're coming to the end of this conversation, this gospel conversation that Jesus is having with Nicodemus, and he completes the message in chapter, or verses 16 through 21, which again are some, contains some of the most oft-quoted verses in Scripture, one in particular, and as I've said, it's for good reason, the entire message, the entire narrative matter-of-factly speaking, can be summed up in these verses. The entire message of the Bible can be summed up in the, in the, in the, in the section of Scripture we're going to go through next. Verses 16 through 21 are of, of vital importance for us, and I want to read them again. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the send the son into the world to judge the world but so that the world might be saved through him the one who believes in him is not judged the one who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the son, of the only son of God and this is the judgment this is the verdict The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, so that his deeds will not be exposed. But the one who practices the truth comes to the light, so that his deeds will be revealed as having been performed in God. In the light, our deeds and the things we do are are performed or done in full view of God without fear. God so loved the world, church. And to understand the rest of Scripture, and to understand the rest of this, we need to understand this first, that God so loved. God so loved. And some people, when they hear the term love, or when the word love gets thrown around, they start to get a bit uncomfortable. And for good reason. People have been abused and hurt and wronged in the name of love or under the guise of it. So when people are brought into these waters, when we minister the gospel to them, a gospel of love, and we, and, we, and we try to usher them or walk them into these waters, they can get very frightened. They can be triggered and they, they, they instinctually may want to run away because of their past experience. But the reality for us is that in God, our experience of love is different. God's love isn't like that at all. You see... God's love is what we as Christians call agape love. And if you've gone to church long enough or heard enough messages, you've probably heard this word agape before. It's a Greek word used to describe a pure charitable kind of love. C.S. Lewis describes it like this. It's unconcerned with self and concerned with the greatest good of another. It's not born just out of emotions, feelings, familiarity, or attraction, but from the will and as a choice. Love is a choice. Agape requires faithfulness, commitment and sacrifice without expecting anything in return. This is what agape love or God's love looks like. And why can we trust it? 1 John verses 4 or chapter 4 verse 19, we're not in John, we're in 1 John, chapter 4 verse 19 states, "We love because he first loved us." We love because He first loved us. God loved first, and as Creator of all things, all firsts that bring glory and honor to God, all firsts that bring glory and honor, have their origin in Him. So with God loving us first, we're experiencing and witnessing love in its original form in being used for its original purpose. It's the true form of love, not this perverted form or twisted form of love that we've experienced and witnessed in the world today. And what did God love? He loved the world. God loved the world. And to come to our understanding of what he means by world, the word world, I'm going to spare you the suspense. Quoting from my ESV Bible, the notes from my ESV ESV Bible, God loved this rebellious world of God's image bearers. If you know your Old Testament scripture in Genesis, you will know that and believe that we are created in the image of God. We look like God. We have his likeness. And God loved this rebellious world of God's image bearers. He loved rebels, fools, and idolaters. So much that he gave his only son, Jesus, to redeem them, to save them. Like Jesus said, he came to save people from judgment and the condemnation that we deserve. It's a saving grace that is rejected by so many, let alone acknowledging the condemnation and the judgment part. In Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Heaven, he quotes a question asked to a Union Theological Seminary president. This is someone who is the overseer of a theological seminary, a place where people go to learn scriptures so that we can minister them. It's a reporter's question to her, and this is what is asked. What will happen when we die? You would think for a, a, the president of a theological seminary that this would be an easy question that would have a prompt and immediate response But in her response, we see another tragedy. She responds with, I don't know. There may be something. There may be nothing. This is the response from a religious leader, the head of a theological seminary. And and for us, and for me when I read it, it was another pharisaical tragedy in our own time. Like the religious leaders of Jesus' day, not being able to recognize the fulfillment of prophecy in everything that Jesus was doing, and who he was, people today still don't recognize it. Leaders today don't recognize it. And it's a tragedy. Hear me when I say this, church. Just because you don't want something to happen doesn't mean that it won't. Where Jesus asked this question, If this question was given to Jesus by a reporter, I'm sure his response would be something like found in verse 18 of John chapter three. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Verse 19 starts with, this is the judgment. This is the verdict. We need to know that God has made a decision. There is a verdict, and our sin has made this world a very dark place. It's made it a place of darkness, and instead of going to the light or following the light to get out of the darkness, the world has fallen in love with it. They've fallen in love with the darkness, and they don't want to be found at all. You want to talk about a a love that's gone wrong, this is what worldly love looks like in comparison to God's love. The light has come into the world, and as John chapter 8, verse 12 says, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the light. But when you've been in the dark for a long time, if you've been in darkness for quite a long time, the sudden introduction to light can be startling. It can even hurt the eyes. But when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to his saving gospel... That's not what it's like. That's not our experience when His light comes in. We don't have to be afraid because His truth sets us free. And we live knowing that even though everything we've done, the sins that we've committed, done in the full sight of God in His light, we are redeemed. We are saved. His verdict over us, the verdict of our Creator, is one of salvation. It's the grace of God that goes beyond anything we can imagine. It's a redemption that has a scope beyond anything we can think of or come to grips with. It's hard because we don't deserve it. But as is with grace, even though we don't deserve it, God loves us so much he gives it to us freely. That's the very reason Jesus came. And this is the message that he's giving to Nicodemus. And it's a message he's giving us today because He loves us that much. As we close this message out today, what can we take away to ensure us that we, as it says in the beginning of 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, that we walk in the light as He is in the light. How can we ensure that we walk in the light as He is in the light? I want you to hear this. Cling to the truth of the gospel every day of your life. If John 3.16 is a verse that you hold in your heart, please keep in your heart the first 15 verses that came before it, as well as the five verses that came after it, so that you can have the full scope, you can have the full context of what those verses actually mean, and so that, again, you can apply them in your life. When it comes to the gospel, we can't be selective. This is a gospel message, and we can't pick and choose what parts of the gospel we want to treasure and hold and believe, and what parts we don't want to minister or ignore or or believe for ourselves or to let anyone else know about. We have to preach the gospel in its fullness. We can't add to it. We can't take away from it. We can't pervert it. Paul wrote this about this point when he wrote to the Galatian church in Galatians chapter 1 verses 8 through 9 he said but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you let him be accursed as we have said before so now i say again if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received let him be accursed contrary meaning different If anyone preaches a different gospel than the one that we preach, the gospel of Jesus Christ, let him be accursed because it's not a gospel. It's not a saving gospel. Only Jesus saves, and any attempt on our part to do likewise only leads to darkness. We can't save ourselves, and when we try to, it leads to darkness. In thinking about that, I was reminded of a time where I tried to save myself. There was a time in my life where I found myself in a situation where I needed to be saved. <clears throat> I, in the summertime, I was young, <clears throat> in my, in my mid-20s or so, I had a lot of free time and, uh, I had a friend, I was probably at the peak of my training. I was probably at the peak of my strength. Um, the job I had at the time was an evening shift job and my wife was working a day shift job in a hair salon. So I had a lot of free time in the mornings and afternoons and that's when I did my training. And I had a friend that I trained with who, who became one of my best friends and he's still one of my best friends today And him and I would find, especially during the summertime, all kinds of different things to do. Uh, and a lot of those things involved being out in the sun (laughs) so we would in the summertime spend a lot of time at the beach and swimming as a part of our training and uh, we found ourselves one day at crystal beach And my uncle had moved back to town. And during that summer, he had spent a lot of time with us as well. So the three of us were at Crystal Beach. And if you're familiar with Crystal Beach, there is this concrete pier that has these two pillars that people get up and they jump off into the water. And there's a beach on the left side of the pier and there's a beach on the right side. The beach on the left side is significantly smaller. Most people are on the right side and that's where we were. And my friend being, you know cool and funny issued a challenge to us saying hey let's let's see who can swim across from the right side of the beach to the left side the fastest and me thinking I can do anything said sure I'll take that challenge and my uncle was like yeah let's do it so we get in the water and we start on the swim and in a good ways into it I realize I'm in trouble I realize I'm in real trouble My friend is swimming faster than I, my uncle's ahead of me, and and one of the problems that happens when you are a person who's carrying a lot of muscle is that it takes a lot of oxygenated blood to flow to that muscle to keep it functioning and moving and to keep going. And for me, my muscles had, had ended up developing a lot of what we call lactic acid. Um, The the muscles weren't getting oxygenated as often as they needed to, and I found myself gassing. It's what we call gassing, um, when your muscles become extremely exhausted and you can't move them. So here I am in the water, and I realize I'm in trouble. I'm I'm probably going to drown. So in my mind, I remember, oh yeah, if you're you're struggling in the water, roll over on your back and and, and that'll keep you afloat. So I did that. I rolled over, but (laughs) I still needed my arms to keep me afloat, so that didn't work very long. And again, I, I knew I was going to drown if, if something didn't happen. So uh, I looked ahead and, and sure enough, I, I saw my uncle. Uh, my friend was too far ahead. So I yelled out. I yelled out to my uncle because I needed him to save me. And thankfully he heard me. He turned around and he swam all the way back to me. He was already way ahead of me and he had the strength to come and get me. And when he got, when he got to me, he said, Sean, don't struggle. Don't move. Just stay on your back. And I'm going to carry you to safety. And that's what he did he got me to the shore and when I got to the shore I knew I was tired because when I got out of the water I couldn't move my arms at all he saved me and for me if I hadn't humbled myself if I hadn't have cried out I would have drowned when I didn't have to I would have died when I didn't have to and for us church and hearing this gospel we don't have to drown either today's message was a gospel message. It was a message of rebirth. It's a good news message. And for us to hear it and to receive it, we enter into eternal fellowship, eternal relationship with God, a God who loves us, a Father in heaven who loves us, and revealed that love to us through His Son, Jesus Christ, His birth, His death, and His resurrection. In the beginning of our scripture today, and as the band comes up, I'm visualizing the band coming up, We met a man named Nicodemus. We were introduced to a man named Nicodemus. And this man was either initially afraid or ashamed to meet with Jesus. So he met him under the cover of darkness. In church, when the gospel is out of fashion, there are many Nicodemites. When the gospel is out of fashion, when the gospel uh, isn't popular, there are many people who are like Nicodemus. They want to receive the gospel, they want to believe the gospel, but they do it under the cover of darkness. And because of the light of Jesus, we don't have to do that. We don't have to be afraid. As we learn about Nicodemus in later texts, we're going to learn that the gospel transformed Nicodemus. He was born into a new man that, in the light of Christ, was confident. He wasn't afraid to be public in defending and assisting Jesus. He was, as we learn in the later part of John chapter one, verse or John first John chapter one verse seven. In the beginning we learned the first part of that verse that said, Walk in the light as he is in the light. The last part of that verse says we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Jesus is the light, and we can walk in it, and in its truth. And I pray that you will follow that light all the way to eternity, church. I want to do that with my life. I pray that you do with your life. And I would encourage you to talk to anyone about walking into the light of Christ. If this is something you feel God calling you to do. We love you. And again, I look forward to being in, in fellowship with you in person. I'll be praying for you. Continue to pray for me and my family. And God bless.